Psalm 1. It's a very short psalm. Just six verses. And it reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Since we finished Daniel, I've been um, you know, uh, considering what to do next. Um, I haven't come to a decision yet. I did wonder whether to you know, start on the book of Mark. But then um, I was informed that um, the men's fellowship have been going through the Gospel of Mark, so I decided not to go down that route. I don't want to duplicate you know, what they've been doing. And so I'm still looking to the Lord for what we should be looking at next. In the meantime, we're going to be looking at this psalm, um, <clears throat> psalm number one. It's an interesting psalm, and um, a psalm that actually is just the right you know, psalm to, um, you know, to introduce the whole book of the psalms. Now, the, um, the main theme of, the, of this psalm is, um, you know, the great motif is the, um, the godly and the ungodly. The contrast between the godly and the ungodly is so stark and it stares at us right in the face. This psalm is divided into two sections. Um, verses 1 to 3 describes, you know, the ungodly man, it describes the godly man, sorry, it describes the righteous man, and verses 4 to 6 describes, you know, the ungodly man or the unrighteous man. And so we see the stark contrast as we look at this psalm. Now, this evening I want to draw your attention, you know, to the godly man. I want to look at the godly man, you know, this evening. Now, the word man, when it says, you know, blessed is the man. Now, the word man, there is not talking about the male gender. No, it's a generic term, and it means it includes all people. It includes all people of all times, of all conditions. You know, those who possess the character that is referred to here, it includes them. It's applicable to the poor, it's applicable to the rich, it's applicable to those who are, you know, low and those who are exalted, the servant as well as the master, you know, alike, and the aged and the middle-aged and the young. All who have the character described, you know, here is referred to when it talks about, you know, blessed is the man. It's a generic term and it includes all of them. So as we look at, as I talk about, you know, godly man and ungodly man, I'm not talking about the male gender. I'm talking about people generally who possess the, you know, character that is being mentioned here. In God's word. And it tells us that the, um, the condition you know, of the godly man is a happy one. Blessed 
is the man it says. Now, the godly man is, um, you know, is described for us in the first three verses. In the first three verses, it tells us about the godly man. Number one, it tells us what the godly man would not do. This man that has come, you know, to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. This man that has repented of his sin and is trusting in Christ. His life has been changed and transformed. This man that has been born again. This man that has been given a new life. The godly man. It tells us what he would not do. The kind of things that he will not get involved in. Secondly, it tells us what he would do. The sort of thing that he indulges in. The sort of thing that he immerses himself in. And then thirdly, we told about the character of this godly man. What he is like. What he is like. Now, I cannot you know, look at all of this you know, tonight. It will be too much you know, for us. You know, that probably takes us about three hours to look at. So what I want to do tonight, I want to look at you know, this godly man, the first you know, thing that um, is mentioned for us here, what the godly man would not do. And it tells us there, you know, um, in the first verse, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So that is what this godly man would not do. He will, you will not find him indulging in these things that has been, you know, mentioned. And so, first of all, you know, it, we're told that um, you know he will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The word, the word, you know, walk is used here to describe a person's way of life, a person's conduct. In other words, how a person lives his life and how he conducts himself. The counsel of the ungodly is the advice. Is the way of life of the ungodly. The godly man will not listen. He will not take advice of the ungodly as the way in which you know, he should live his life. He does not act upon you know, the advice of the ungodly. Now, to walk with somebody means that you agree with that person. That you have something in common with them. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, you know, tells us, you know, ask the question, can two walk together unless they are agreed? To walk in the counsel of the ungodly means that you agree with their way of life. The psalmist is saying here that the godly man will not live his life according to the practice and the advice of the ungodly. He does not agree with the way of the ungodly who is unconverted and lives only for himself and to satisfy himself. The godly man will not go down that route. The ungodly man has no fear of God. He hates truth. He indulges in sin. He's at enmity with God. He has a warped nature and a warped sense of right and wrong. He is restless and troubled and ever troubling others. He hates Christ. He hates Christ's people. Sin does not trouble the ungodly at all. This is the character of the ungodly. And you'll find that his aims are all wrong. 
his principles, his plans, his practices, they are all in a wrong. And so the psalmist says that the godly man will not want to emulate you know, the lifestyle of the ungodly. He has nothing at all in common you know, with the ungodly man. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 15 you know, says this. And this is an advice from a you know, loving father to his son. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Avoid them. That's what you know, he's saying you know, to um, his son. And so the godly man you know, will be very wary of the ungodly and will keep away you know, from, you know, from following you know, their way of life. Secondly, he tells us not only will he avoid you know, the counsel of the ungodly, he will not stand in the path of sinners. He will not stand in the path of sinners, the ungodly, the unrighteous man. Now, the way of sinners is their lifestyle, is their sinful lifestyle. It's a way of darkness, a crooked path, and a road that leads to destruction and death. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 tells us, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. This is the way of sinners. It's a way that delights in doing that which God hates. And here the psalmist says that the godly man will avoid such a way, such a path. The book of Proverbs has much you know, to say you know, about the way of sinners. Again, we read in um, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, hold back your food from their path. It's talking about the, the godless. Hold back your food from their path. Don't go you know, in the path of the, um, of the ungodly. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15 says this. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not go in. Turn away from it and pass on. Avoid you know, that way it's saying. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 1. Be not envious of evil men. Not desire to be with them. Avoid them. Keep away from them. The, um, you know, the, um, the preacher is actually saying here. If the godly man finds himself you know, amongst you know, these sinners, he's very uncomfortable. He's very uncomfortable. They cause him grief. The godly hates the thought of sin. And so, you know, he, you know, he um, avoids you know, these people. He walks not with the ungodly. He has such a reverence for God and cannot bear to hear God's name you know, blasphemed. So we read that he will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He will not stand in the way of sinners. Thirdly, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are those who mock. Scoffers does not, you know, <clears throat> this godly man will not sit with scoffers. Those who treat religion with contempt. They ridicule the things of God. They mock and deride and ridicule the whole idea of sin, of hell, of heaven, and they mock God himself. They have no fear of God at all. 
They are proud and arrogant, and they follow ungodly passions. They are governed, by and large, by their feelings and their desires. The godly man seeks no intimacy with scoffers, and he shouldn't. Scoffers are indifferent to religion, and they hate the things of God. Now, I meet these people all the time in Birmingham, in the open air. And some of the things they come up with, I'll tell you what, I can't even repeat, repeat it. Some of the things they say about God, I'm ashamed you know, to repeat it. They are scoffers, and they have no fear of God whatsoever. They laugh in your face, and you share the gospel with them, and they ask you, you don't believe in such rubbish, do you? That's, you know, that's their attitude. The psalmist says in Psalm 26, verses 4 and 5, I do not sit with false men, nor do I consort with dissemblers. I hate the company of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. That's Psalm 26, verses 4 and 5. Now the psalmist says, Happy is the godly man who does not sit or keep company with the ungodly, with sinners and with scoffers. He does not come into their assembly. He does not frequent their gatherings. Wherever they are, he avoids them. He does not make them his bosom friends, nor approve of the, you know, of the way they talk, their manner, their, you know, their principles, their actions. is very much against them, and he will keep away from them. The ungodly man, as I said, is unconcerned about religion. He's unconcerned about his own salvation and he's unconcerned about the salvation of others. He discourages people from following Christ. He ridicules church attendance and sees prayer as a waste of time. These are the character of the ungodly. To the ungodly, there's no profit at all in these things. He advises others to adopt his own lifestyle. He, in his own eyes, you know, he is right. And all the others are wrong. He sees, you know, those who follow God as being miserable, not enjoying themselves, and so on. I remember a time and again, we've been talking to somebody in the open air, and all of a sudden, a friend, you know, showed up. I said, why are you talking to him? Why are you talking religion with him? Come on, you know, and um, his friend says, no, I want to listen. And oh, he lambasted his friend. He says, you know, he wanted his friend to go to the pub with him. But the friend wanted to listen to the gospel. And that's the way of the ungodly. And the psalmist is saying here that the godly man will not keep company with such people. Walking, standing, and sitting in the company of sinners indicates successive you know, stages of deterioration in, in his way of life, which goes from bad to worse. First, there's the occasional compliance, the occasional, you know, uh, mingling, you know, with them. But then, it goes further. Stepping aside from the right path into the crooked way, he is then, you know, fixed in association with them. And then he becomes established. You know, he becomes a teacher Amongst them. So he goes from bad you know, to worse. And he resides among the wicked. Not a mere spectator this time. But a teacher 
as one of themselves. And so little by little, the ungodly induces you know, the godly man to turn aside from the right path, a danger which we all should be aware of. Now, having said all that, you will notice that so far, everything that I've said is to do with keeping bad company. The ungodly is bad company. The sinner is bad company. The scornful is bad company. It's the company of the ungodly, the wicked. So we have to ask ourselves, what kind of company are we keeping? What kind of company do we keep? What kind of people do you associate with? Because the company that you keep will determine the kind of person that you are. We say birds of the same feather flock together. It's very, very true. Very, very true. The kind of people that we spend more time with will influence us one way or the other. That's why we need to be careful what company we keep. It's very important for us to do that. We need to be very mindful of the company that we keep because they will influence us and very gradually we begin to behave like them. That's the problem. We begin to gradually behave like them. We become like them eventually. Now, I'm sure I've shown you this before, but I want to show you how true this is because you might say to yourself, nah, not me, I'm strong. I wouldn't let them, you know... Um, influence me and so on. Let me show you how easy it is that um, you can become influenced you know, by people. Turn to Psalm 106. I'm sure I've read this passage to you before, but let me remind you of it. Psalm 106. And this is to do with the children of Israel. Psalm 106. When they were going to the promised land, when they were about to enter you know, Canaan, to conquer Canaan, you know, God gave instructions you know, to um, the Israelites. God said to them that they must destroy everything, everything, not to spare anything at all. They must destroy everything because these people are wicked people and they will lead them astray. That's, what, that's the instruction that God gave to them. But what happened? Look at um, verse 34. It says, they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned you know, their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their own sons and their daughters to demons. And they shed innocent blood the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing. God, God warned them in advance. Destroy. Get rid of everything, because God knew, God, the all-knowing God, he knew what will happen if they don't destroy them and they mingle with them. And this is the result. 
they began to, you know, to behave. You know, they took on the lifestyle of these idols, these, um, you know, Gentiles. They began to worship their idols. They even began to sacrifice their own children. Something that God never, never commanded them to do. They began to do that. Verse 39, thus they were defiled by their own works, and they played a harlot by their own deeds. My friends, please don't say to yourself, you know, you can mingle with people and not take on their way of life. You know, you don't, um, you don't believe that for one minute. You don't believe that for one minute. The more you mingle with the ungodly, gradually you begin to take on their lifestyle. Whether you like it or not, they will influence you. They will influence you, and they will drag you down. Paul, writing to the Cor- Cor- you know, Corinthians, says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Do not be deceived. That's what man does. He deceives himself. Doesn't matter what God says. He thinks, no, no, I can, I, I, you know, it wouldn't affect me. But no, Paul says, don't be deceived. And he tells them, bad company ruins good morals. Bad company will drag you down with them. Now, you might say to yourself, that's all right. This does not really apply to me because I do not know or keep company with such people. Do you not? Do you not? Now, you may not keep company with people like that physically and directly, but you can keep company indirectly and at a distance with people like that. What do I mean? Well, you can do that you know, through the television, through the newspaper and cinema, and the magazines and the journals that you read, and then social media. You can keep company with very, very bad people, and they will influence you, believe it or not. These, um, you know, this media, the organs of propaganda, and the people who control this media, they influence people in their own way. They influence how people live their lives. The people that control this media, they are ungodly. And they promote ungodliness. What they put out by and large is the counsel of the ungodly. Look at the content of what they put out. You will notice it is the counsel of the ungodly. I'm sure you will agree with me. The television, the newspapers, the cinemas, the social media, they promote adultery, they promote infidelity, they promote swearing and irreverence for God. They take God's name in vain and it becomes so common that people think that's the way to speak. And everywhere you turn, people are taking God's name in vain, left and right. They promote homosexuality. They promote world, worldliness. Look at the advertising. This is the thing they want to entice you, you know, to do and to buy and to, um, you know, get involved in and so on. And people, you know, go for them. 
people go for them. A lot of people, what they do is what they see on television. I can remember when um, Princess Diana was alive. Whenever she changes her hairstyle, whoa, the whole nation goes berserk. Everybody wants to copy that hairstyle. People are still doing it today. People that follow these pop stars and um, all these so-called famous people. You know, they, you know, that's what happens. You get it all from social media, from television, from the newspapers and so on. Some of our newspapers, you turn the next page and oh, you're confronted by image that you don't want to see. These things are the counsel of the ungodly. These people, they promote that which is titillating. And you find that um, soaps such as um, East Enders and Coronation Street and Emma Dale and all the others, they try to justify you know, um, the lot of the rubbish that they put out by saying that they are being relevant. They are just you know, um, expressing what's going on in society. Absolute nonsense. That's what they say. That's their justification for all the rubbish that they put out, for all the things that they promote. That's what they say. To give time you know, to these things is to take in the counsel of the ungodly. Why a Christian who wants to sit down for hours watching East Enders and Coronation Street and so on, I don't understand it at all. Why? Will a Christian want to invest their time, you know, you know, imbibing you know, that kind of rubbish? That is the counsel of the ungodly. And by and large, they begin to influence you know, those who give time you know, to them. When you look at um, our television and social media and all these um, things that we've been talking about, by and large, they deny God. They deny God created the universe. And instead, they promote evolution. That's what they do. You look at David Attenborough's um, in the program and all these nature programs. Some of them are brilliant. They're good and so on. But it's the commentary. That's the problem. Listen to David Attenborough. Oh, 50 billion years ago and so on. And you know, this evolved to that and so on. And it's absolute rubbish. But the problem is they use... Um, you know, um, you know, they use, you know, things, you know, like, um, you know, graphics, computer graphics, you know, to make it so real. And people say, yes, that's exactly how it happened. And they begin to believe it. And many people that I meet today, they tell me that they believe in evolution. They don't believe in God. They get it from television. From people like David Attenborough and all the others. When I question them and ask them to, you know, to explain evolution to me, they begin to swallow their Adam's apple and they if and am and so on. And they gradually walk away. They don't understand it, but they've, you know, they've seen it on television, and that's good enough for them. And they believe it. And you come to them and say, I want to tell you about God. Oh, no, I don't believe in God. I believe in evolution. That's, you know, they get their ideologies from television and social media. Terrible thing. Social media, they have people that are called influencers. And these influencers, they have very large followings. And they can persuade 
their followers to act in a particular way. Usually, the ways that are contrary to God's ways. <clears throat> so a lot of people today, they get their beliefs from television and social media. They believe what they see or what they read and they copy them. And Paul, the apostle, tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. This is what um, you know, Paul has to say to the Ephesians. And it applies not just to the Ephesians, but to, you know, um, it applies everywhere to all peoples. And this is what um, you know, Paul has to say to the Ephesians when he wrote to them. And he began to remind them of what they were before they became Christians. And what, they, you know, what, what, what was happening to them. He says to them, and you he made alive, that is God the Holy Spirit, you know, made them alive, who were dead in sins and trespasses. He says, in which you once walked, you know, according to the course of this world. We all followed, you know, people. Don't think for ourselves and convince ourselves that we are. No, we follow the course of this world. Whatever people are doing, we all, you know, followed. And that's, it happened then, it's still happening today. It's still happening today. These things on television, we all follow them. We think that's the way to live. But that's not the way to live at all. As I said, the media promotes ungodliness. And if we give time you know, to it, we start keeping company with the ungodly. And unconsciously, we learn you know, their ways and begin to practice them. Please. Listen to what I'm saying. This is very serious. For those who consider themselves to be Christians, we must avoid at all costs you know, this kind of you know, situations. Now, having said that, I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't have non-Christian friends. No, I'm not saying that. We can have non-Christian friends. We, we have to mix with people who are not Christians, whether we like it or not. We mix with them in our workplace, in schools, we mix with them in the neighborhood. We can't avoid them. But what I'm saying is that though we mix with them, we must not spend too much time with them and we must not adopt their lifestyle. This is the issue you know, that um, I'm putting before you. If anything, we are to seek to win them for Christ when we mix with them. Not take on their ways, seek to win them for Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul actually did. He set a good example for us. Let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians and chapter 9. One Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> and verse 19. You know, Paul says this. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win them all. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jew. To those who are under the law, I became as one, um, you know, under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I, you know, as without the law. Not being without law towards God, but under the law. Towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men. Why? That I might by all means save some. This was Paul's motive. This was his goal. He mingled with all kinds of people, but he had one aim in doing that, and that's to win them for Christ, not to emulate their lifestyle, not to take on you know, their ungodly ways. And same with us. We mix with them, yet we are separate from them. Paul was separate from them. And then we have the supreme example in our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19 describes you know, Christ as a friend of sinners. Thank God for that. As a friend of sinners. He mixed and identified with sinners. In Luke's gospel chapter 5, the Pharisees criticized him for eating and drinking with sinners. Although he did all that, he did not adopt you know, their in a way of life. He did not take part in their sins. The Bible tells us that he knew no sin. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. In him there is no sin. 1 John 3 and 5. In him there is no sin. He did not adopt their lifestyle. And Paul you know, clearly taught you know, separation from sinners. Even though we mix with them, we are separate you know, from them. Again, you know, um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. And we see what um, you know, Paul has to say you know, here. The Bible teaches biblical separation from that which is wrong. You know, from people who are living a particular you know, lifestyle. We're told to separate ourselves from them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 says this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, it says, come out from amongst them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. We are to be separate. We don't have anything in common, really, with the unbeliever. We don't have anything at all in common with them as such. So we should be separate you know, from them. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not look to the world for your standard. Don't be molded you know, by the world. No. No, don't allow yourself to be molded by the world. You know, come away, be separate from them. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't have non-Christian friends, but I'm saying that they shouldn't shape our lifestyle. We shouldn't spend too much time you know, with them. Secondly, I'm not saying that you cannot watch television. I'm not saying that you cannot read the newspaper or go to the cinema if that's what you want to do. I can't ever imagine myself waking up one day and say to myself, I'm going to the cinema. 
it, it just will not even occur to me. I've got too much to do. Well, some people like going to the cinema and so on. I've got no quarrel, you know, with them. And then there's social media. I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved in all these things. What I'm saying is be careful what you are watching, be careful of what you are reading, and be careful with your involvement with social media. Are they wholesome? Are they wholesome? What you do, what you watch, what you read, are they wholesome? Will you be happy for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and sit with you as you watch whatever it is you're watching, as you read whatever it is you're reading, as whatever, with whatever you're getting involved in in social media? Will you be happy you know, for Christ to come and sit with you? If you're not, then you know, that thing is wrong. You must stop it immediately. Immediately. That means it's wrong. Do not spend too much time in them. Time that should be well spent improving your spiritual life. Waste it away in front of television, watching Coronation Street or whatever it is you're watching. Totally wrong. And so the godly man will distance himself from the ungodly. He will turn away from the sinner and from the scoffer. He will not take advice or live his life according you know, to them. Who are you following? Who is dictating how you live your life? That's a question we must all answer. Is it the television? Is it your non-Christian friends? Is it social media? Who is dictating? What is dictating how you, how you live your life? And all this reminds me of the importance of Christian Fellowship. Christian fellowship. So, so important. The early Christians, they spent so much time together and they encouraged themselves in the Lord. Spent so much time together. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we, we told you know, how they spent so much, how they dedicated themselves, how they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and breaking of bread and all sorts of things. And they were in each other's homes, you know, breaking bread together. You know, they spent time going to the temple. They spent so much time with each other. Sadly, nowadays, Christians only see themselves on Sundays and perhaps at the midweek prayer meeting. Don't spend much time together. I'm so glad that as a church, there are, you know, social gatherings when we're able to spend some time with each other. And um, in those social gatherings, I found that, that, you know, there are certain gifts that I don't have. Bowling, useless. But I enjoy the fellowship and so on. Table football, forget it. Can't even... Flick the thing, let alone, you know, hit it. No way. As for the quiz nights, I actually blame the quiz master. You know, I, you know, I blame the quiz master, you know, for all this. But seriously, my friend, spending time with Christians actually strengthens, you know, our fellowship with God, and it improves our spiritual life. 
let me beg you, please, avoid all these things we've been talking about. The, the counsel of the ungodly, whichever way it comes, let us seek to avoid them. May God bless us as we seek to do so.